morning, TLC. Hey, I'm so happy and joyful to be with you guys this morning. I've been married for almost two years now. I know. Thank you. Thank you. I have it all figured out. I'm kind of an expert. Uh, so if you need any helpful feedback, questions, just let me know. I've got it all figured out. Uh, one of the things, being married is like a crazy thing because for me, like I lived like almost like 23 years not married. And then one day, I'm married. You know, it's like, what? It's just boom. It just happens. It's like, oh, wow, okay. Uh, and you learn a lot. And uh, one of the things that I learned being married uh, was uh, just like the way that my wife, Olivia, who's here, she's right there, uh, the way that she likes to be cared for, uh, love language, some people call this, right? Uh, and you even learn that about yourself. So uh, I remember at one point early on in our marriage, uh, Olivia sat down and uh, we had dated for like three years, but she said, I, I noticed something uh, like a love language that you had that I didn't notice before, and it's really prominent. Like, it's probably your top one. She said, you really love to do what you love to do. <laughs> but it doesn't stop there, right? She said, you really love to do what you love to do, but you love, because I'm not that selfish. She said, but you love to do it with people that you love, and you want them to love it too. Which is like the most selfish thing in the universe, you know what I mean? Like, she was basically just like, you know, I've been realizing lately that uh, you're pretty selfish, <laughs> you know, like, like, I love to do what I love to do. Selfish? Check. Yes. I love to do what I love to do with people I love, and I want them to love it just as much as I do. That's maniacal. <laughs> like, I just call it mandatory fun, okay? If you don't love it, then get out of my life. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But... Honestly, like I enjoy, I, there's nothing more I enjoy than sharing something that I love with someone else and getting to see them have a similar experience. Like I love sharing with my wife like a new uh, music artist or a new song. Like last night in the car, I had heard rumors about a Justin Bieber, Ed Sheeran song. And so I showed Olivia this and Olivia's like the type of person that can listen to a song like seven times in a row. So she was like, she heard it. She was like, I like that. Play it again. And I was like, can we listen to a few songs in between before we like circle back? You know, but I love sharing that. I love sharing a new delicious restaurant with friends. I love sharing the beach. I love sharing a new movie, a new idea, my beloved Indiana Pacers. Like I love sharing what I love with other people because I enjoy so much getting to see them have a similar experience. I just wish, I just wish that I had that same level of passion and desire for sharing my love and faith in Jesus. I don't think I'm alone here. I hope I'm not alone here. Evangelism, or sharing our faith, telling other people about Jesus, for many of us, is hard. For some of us, we even think it's wrong, or we think it's offensive. We get confused about it, we get frustrated by it, we don't understand it. Why do we feel this way? Is it because we don't love Jesus enough? Is it because we don't love other people enough? Is it because we aren't bold enough? Maybe. <laughs> maybe that's part of it. But what if, maybe part of it, notice I said part of it, might be that as the decades have emerged and the culture has changed, the, the main methodology for some of us, the only method for sharing our faith, for telling other people about Jesus has been one method and one method only. Proclamation. 
Many of us, Christian or not, when we think of sharing our faith, when we think of telling other people about Jesus, we think of proclamation. I once heard someone say recently about talking about evangelism, talking about telling other people about Jesus. He said, maybe it's something like what's been passed down over and over again has been more like a cassette tape when maybe what we need today is something more like a Spotify playlist. You see, many of us, Christian or not, we think of proclamation when we think of telling other people about Jesus. We think of a big outreach event. We think of a preacher on a Sunday morning. We think of a one-on-one conversation with someone who knows all the answers and they're just like spitting truth at someone. And this method of telling other people about Jesus, proclamation, not a bad thing. Hear me say that. That is not a bad thing. I worked for a year with a ministry who pours a ton of effort and a ton of energy into mostly this method of telling people about Jesus. It's not a bad thing. But in some cases, in many cases, it's the only method, the only thing that comes to our mind when we think about telling other people about Jesus. Which could be a problem when maybe many of the people around us today might have already heard the good news of Jesus proclaimed and they're looking for something more like a conversation. You see, they've heard proclamation and they might, they might be more interested in something more like a conversation. And so many of us today, we walk around knowing, as Christians, knowing that Jesus told us that we're supposed to make other disciples. We're supposed to go and tell other people about him. But we walk around frustrated by the box that we have put evangelism in, that we have put telling other people about Jesus, sharing our faith. And so because of that, we ignore the call altogether. Jesus has told us to tell other people about him, but it's hard, it's confusing, I don't really get it. I'm just going to turn a blind eye to it, not worried about it, which is a problem. So before we go any further this morning, before we talk about these moments of obedience, these moments that we have to share our faith, to tell other people about Jesus, I just want to pause for a minute minute and just validate those feelings. I, at times, feel that way as well, frustrated by some of this, feeling like I just got to give up. I don't know what to do. But before we go any further this morning, my prayer is that my eyes and that our eyes would be opened. Would be open to what telling other people about Jesus can be, what it can look like. Not what it has been, not what you think it must be, but what it can be. Would you open your eyes and your hearts with me this morning? You see, we've spent the last three weeks in this series called Moments That Make Us. The idea that there are moments that shape and define us. And we've talked a lot about change the last three weeks. And this week, we sort of take a shift, and we're going to focus a lot more on some of the moments that, like, mark a Christian life. You see, for people who follow Jesus, who put their trust in Jesus, there are certain moments that just shape and define the people that we are and even the people that are around us. And in the, in the life of a guy named Philip, in the, books, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 26 to 40, we see one of these moments. Philip, sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> Philip has a moment to share his faith. He has a moment to tell someone else about Jesus. And so we're going to pick up right at that story, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40. 
uh, you can pull out your Bible screen, hold up a hand. We'll have some people bringing Bibles if, uh, if that works for you. And as you're turning to Acts 8, chapter 26 to 40, just some, a quick backdrop on Acts. Acts is the first book after the first four books of the New Testament where Jesus' life and teachings have been recorded. And then we have the book of Acts. So in the first chapter, Jesus is with his disciples, and then, boom, he pieces out. He ascends to heaven, and the rest of the book of Acts tells the story of the early Christian church. This is like the formation of the Christian church. And in the book of Acts, we see more than anywhere else, we see tons of people sharing their faith, tons of people telling people about Jesus, and we also see tons of people putting their trust in Jesus. This is one of those examples. All right, so we're going to read Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, Philip started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip got a free ride, not bad. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? He gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Pretty cool story, right? I read a commentary, and uh, the guy writing the commentary was joking and said, uh, it, this is kind of like a movie version of the story, because Philip probably would have been like really tired running up to the chariot and probably would have been like breathing really heavily, uh, and it would have just been not as clear-cut as uh, it's told in the book of Acts, which I thought was funny. Now, up until now, the story that we just read, up until that point, all that we've read in the book of Acts is stories of, of mass evangelism, of proclamation. The gospels, the good news of Jesus is being proclaimed to tons and tons of people. The Bible says like 3,000 people are being added to their day. But then in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 26 and 40, with this guy named Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, we see a different method of telling someone about Jesus presented. You see, instead of proclamation, we see conversation. One not better than the other, just different. We see, instead of proclamation, we see conversation. But what does that mean for us today? Like, this is a dude named Philip, 2,000 years ago, with a guy, with an Ethiopian eunuch in the middle of the desert on a chariot, reading a scroll. Like, what does that mean for us today? 
If telling people about Jesus doesn't have to be a dramatic proclamation, if it can be a personal and conversational sharing of our faith and telling people about Jesus, what would it look like today? Does it, do we need to go around chasing chariots of people reading scrolls? You're going to be looking for a while for that. Let me know if you find someone actually uh, riding around in a chariot reading a scroll. So what does this mean for us? Like, What does this story of Philip mean for us today? Some of you may be like chomping at the bait. You're like, oh yeah, telling people about Jesus. It can be personal. It can be conversational. What does it look like? And I wrestled this week, like, do I need to like talk through like what, you know, how to have the exact conversation? And it was like, no, that's ridiculous, right? Because we're all, we're not robots. We're all different people. We have different friends. We interact with people in much different ways, right? And so to try and walk through an exact conversation seemed like a waste of time. As I uh, was preparing this week, and I was thinking of this, uh, it's just hard to, you know, walk through an exact conversation. My mind was drawn to uh, one of my my favorite rom-coms. So I am unashamed. I love romantic comedies. Uh, Yep, I have no shame. Uh, One of my favorite romantic comedies, my boy Will Smith uh, delivers uh, in, I think it was like 2005, in a classic flick, Hitch. Anybody seen Hitch? Yeah, if you haven't seen Hitch, go get a life. Crawl out from the rock you are living under. It's one of the greatest uh, rom-coms of all time, for sure. The play, the, the soundtrack, the rock, it's just so great, okay? And it's Will Smith. I mean, come on. Anyway, uh, in the movie, there's one of these amazing scenes uh, that I wanted to show you guys really quick. uh, Alex Hitchens, who's like the main character, he's like the date doctor, right? He helps uh, guys go on dates and uh, get, you know, find love with the woman of their dreams. And there's this amazing scene where Hitch is like behind the door, and he's basically having a conversation for one of his clients with the woman of his dreams. So uh, check out this clip really quick. Yes, hi. What's up? Listen, Albert, right? Um, people don't usually talk to me like that, okay? Let me rephrase that. People never talk to me like that. I understand. Stand up. Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of scary for them. But that's why I really appreciate what you did in there. But I was wondering, um, do you think that you and I could get together sometime this week? You know, to go over things, financial things. You see, I'd, I'd like to see the areas where I can afford to take some risks. I'm gonna check my schedule. That's cool. Great, let me give you my number. Do you have a pen? I don't think I have one. amazing so amazing I love how she doesn't notice like someone's hand literally coming across like there's no way in her peripheral vision she would have seen some hand come across and place a pin it's amazing but this scene illustrates a problem that many of us have I think like when it comes to spiritual conversations when it comes to telling other people about Jesus many of us 
we feel like we can't do it alone. Like we need someone behind the door who's helping us or guiding us or like telling us when to like close our mouth and shutting the door for us and doing all of that, right? Like we feel like we can't do it alone. We need Torin or something behind the door. Now Torin, he looks as good as Will Smith, but he can't be a hundred places in, at once, right? So what does that mean for us today? If, if, we, if we can't know an exact conversation because we're different people with different friends who interact with people in different ways, what does this story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch do for us today? You see, I think in the life of Philip and in this story, we, we see a few characteristics, we see a few patterns that would allow us even today to share our faith, to tell other people about Jesus in personal and conversational ways. You see, Philip was someone who was able to again and again powerfully and effectively share his faith in a personal and conversational way. The type of people that we need to be. And so I want to spend some time just highlighting a few of those characteristics, a few of those patterns. Now there's four that I want to fly through. Four is kind of a lot. Most of you uh, probably don't even remember what you had for breakfast this morning. The, ones, the few of you that do remember, it's probably because you didn't have anything and you're like ready for a bagel and you're like, dude, wrap this up, all right? Come on, I'm hungry. So what I want you to do is this morning, as I fly through these four characteristics, as I fly through these four patterns, I want you to listen to, to one or two that sort of just grab at you, that you feel your imagination go to, that you feel God sort of guiding you to and asking you to sort of lean into and grow in that area. And would you just take, with, take this morning and t- just take one or two of these things? And if you hear one thing this morning, if you hear one thing at all, it's that you would know that anyone, that means you, can share your faith in a personal and conversational way. Anyone can tell other people about Jesus in a personal and conversational way. So what do we see in Philip? The first thing, the first characteristic, the first pattern, anyone can tell people about Jesus in a personal and conversational way when they start with faithful obedience. You see, Philip's sharing of his faith begins with faithful obedience. This angel of the Lord comes to Philip, and he's like, hey, I need you to head out to the middle of the desert on an empty road at the hottest time of the day because I got something for you. Middle of the desert, empty road, hottest time of the day. Not exactly the most ideal time uh, to be interacting with other travelers, but it's an absurd command. I mean, it really is. Uh, But Philip faithfully obeys. Like, he gets up and he goes right? This would be the equivalent uh, of an angel of the Lord coming to you and being like, hey, because that's probably what the angel of the Lord sounds like, you know? Hey. (laughs) I know it's the middle of January, and I know it's really early in the morning, like four in the morning, but I want you to head to Holland State Park Beach, okay? It's looking really good right now, and I have something for you. And you being like, yeah, let me grab my coat, and just going. Like, no questions asked, just faithful obedience, boom, grab your beach towel, and you head to the middle of uh, the beach in the middle of January. Faithful obedience. Now, I'm not saying that we need to head out to the desert uh, on an empty road at the hottest time of the day. That would be a very bad idea for us Michiganders. Uh, we would all die. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not saying that you need to head out to the middle of the, you know, in the middle of January that you need to head out to the beach. But what I'm saying is it's that type of faithful obedience that allows us to again and again powerfully and effectively tell other people about Jesus in a personal and conversational way. 
When we feel the urge to ask that coworker that question, when we feel the urge to go to lunch with that friend, when we feel the urge to encourage that family member, we must faithfully obey. Because telling people about Jesus in a personal and conversational way begins with faithful obedience. The next characteristic, the next pattern that we see in the life of Philip, anyone can tell people about Jesus when they, when they begin or sorry, when they understand what God is doing, when they're sensitive to the hearts that have been prepared by God. Anyone can tell other people about Jesus in a personal and conversational way when they're sensitive to hearts that have been prepared by God. Did you notice what the text said about this Ethiopian eunuch? He's, headed, he's heading back from Jerusalem. Now, Ethiopia is a far way away from Jerusalem, so way too far for this guy to just be heading for a nice touristy trip. This guy has gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he's on his way back, and he's reading a scroll of Isaiah. This person, this Ethiopian eunuch, has clearly been impacted by the Jewish faith. God has been working in this man's heart. He's been working in this man's spirit, and Philip is sensitive to this. Philip's first question plays off of this. He's sensitive and recognizes what God has been doing in this man's heart, and we, we must be the same. We must do the same. You see, oftentimes I feel like we approach in our conversations about Jesus, we get sort of so, so scared or whatever. We approach people like they're like a two by four and we have like a nail of truth that we just got to hammer into them. And if we don't have the boldness to do that, then we're like, all right, I'm out. Like, I can't do it. I can't tell people about Jesus. But what, what, what if we approached people as they are? a beautiful tapestry that God has created, that God has woven his image into, his beauty, his love, his power. And all that we have to do is join God in what he's already doing and bringing some of that out. There's nothing that we need to hammer it into. We're simply joining in what God is already doing. Before I continue, I just want to acknowledge that there might be some people here it's their first time at TLC, or they're still figuring out this whole Jesus thing. They're not really on board yet. And if, if that's you, if you really reckon, if you sort of resonate with this Ethiopian eunuch a lot more than you do Philip, and you're like, sharing my faith, I don't even have faith to share, man. Like, I don't, I don't care what you're saying right now. I want you to know two things. First, you're here this morning. And so God is doing a work in you. God is preparing your spirit. Whether you believe it or not, I know it, I believe it. God is doing a work in you. The second thing, the second thing I need you to know is that you are a beautiful tapestry that God has created. He has woven the threads of his image and his love and his beauty and his power into you. It is part of you. It is woven into your soul. And my hope and my prayer is that this place, TLC, the local church, might be a place that can bring some of that out. No hammering. Just joining in what God is already doing in you. As I prepared this week, I read a story of a, of a preacher or pastor. I really don't like that word preacher. I said that at the, um, in, the, in the first service. It's kind of like weird, old-fashioned. People are like, are you a preacher? I'm like, uh, I'm a pastor. I don't really like the, that preacher word, but sure. Uh, anyway, 
You don't need to know any of that. Uh, stream of consciousness style. You guys like that? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I read recently about this pastor who had the opportunity to lead a hardened criminal uh, who was in a county jail to Jesus. And uh, the, the criminal, the, the person, he's not a criminal, or she's not a criminal, I don't know. Um, anyway, this person told the preacher, he said, Now preacher, don't get a big head because I've accepted Jesus. You are just the 25th person. On asking what that meant, the pastor was told that at least 24 others had told, had witnessed to this person about Jesus and that his conversion was the effect of all of these together. You see, God was at work in this man's life long before the 25th person got into the room. God is at work in the people's lives that are around us today. We must be sensitive to that. Whether you are the third person, the 12th person, the 17th person, the 24th person, or maybe you get to be the 25th person, God is using your faithful obedience as you're sensitive to the work that he's doing. Olivia and I had a sort of tough conversation the other day, and she basically said, she didn't say it like this, but she said, I don't know if I've ever been the 25th person. I don't know if I've ever gotten to be the 25th person that got to see that happen. I didn't say it in the moment, but I should have said, baby, I've seen you be the third person. I've seen you be the 12th person. I've seen you be the 24th person. God has used your faithful obedience in beautiful and powerful ways. It's just as important to be the third person as it is to be the 25th person. We must recognize that as we're sensitive to the hearts that God is preparing in and around and through us. Because when we do that, we powerfully and effectively again and again and again can tell people about Jesus in a personal and in a conversational way. All right, let's keep it moving. The next characteristic, the next pattern that we see in the life of Philip in this interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch is that anyone can tell people about Jesus in a personal and conversational way when they begin with other people's questions. Did you notice what Philip's first interaction was with this Ethiopian eunuch? Like he didn't roll up and was like, hey, I got some, some truth I need to spit on you right now. His first interaction was a question. Philip created a space for this man to be able to ask another question and another question. And their entire conversation was fueled by this Ethiopian eunuch's questions. Philip created that space for this person to be heard and to be understood. And we must do the same. We must start with other people's questions. If you ever are bored and you have time to do some counting, I know that's a very popular pastime these days, just counting. If you go through the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, records the life and teachings of Jesus, you'll find a few interesting numbers, okay? Jesus asked 307 questions, you'll find, you'll count. Jesus was asked 183 questions, so he asked other people 307 questions. That's a lot of questions. He was asked 183 questions. Guess how many questions Jesus directly answered? Three. Okay, Jesus was not a question answerer. Jesus was a question asker. When he was asked a question, he responded with a question. That was the rabbinic way. That was what was expected. And we currently, in 2019... We live in a time where disagreement equals judgment, right? I disagree with you, that means I'm judging you. 
We live in a time where everyone has answers. Everyone wants to talk, and few want to listen, and few want to ask questions. And people need, people need to hear and experience the love and the hope that's in Jesus and the hospitality that is of Jesus. And when we start with other people's questions, they're able to experience that in a way that can't be explained. You see, when we start with other people's questions, we are able to again and again, powerfully and effectively, tell other people about Jesus in a personal and conversational way. Last characteristic, last pattern that we see in Philip. Anyone can tell other people about Jesus in a personal and conversational way when they put Jesus at the center. Anyone notice the main theme of Philip's message? The Ethiopian eunuch has this scroll of Isaiah and he says, is this about this person who wrote this or someone else? Like, who is this about? And Philip immediately responds, it's about Jesus. Everything that Jesus, or everything that Philip wants this Ethiopian eunuch to know is all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus for Philip and for us, that must be the case as well. Our message as Christians is Jesus. Everything that he said, everything that he did, that's what we're about. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Our message is Jesus. As I was thinking about this this week, my mind was drawn to a a passage in Romans. Paul writes to uh, the church in Rome, and in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, he says, here he says i am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god for the salvation of everyone who believes he says the the gospel is the power of god and as i was thinking this week i realized that i so often i've lived my life in such a way as if the text that paul wrote to the church in rome said the power of the gospel is the power of the explanation of me The power of the gospel is the power of my words and how I can communicate and the the ideas that I can come up with and, and so I just work harder and harder and harder all and it's pointless because the power of the gospel is the power of Jesus. Jesus must be central. When I was in college, I had an amazing opportunity to work at a, a camp, a summer camp. In first service, I told everyone that they should work at a summer camp. And then I realized there might be people who are like 45 in the room. And like, you probably shouldn't go work at a summer camp. That's probably not in the cards for you anymore. Sorry, you missed your chance. But if you're in like high school or college or whatever, go work at a summer camp is amazing. I got to do so many cool things. One of the things that I got to do was I got to uh, teach, uh, speak at a few of the evening sessions. And every week at the same time on like a Tuesday night, I got the opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus to some middle school and high school students. This was always a powerful time in the week. But I remember one time uh, that I just butchered it. There's no better way to say it. I like, had a butcher knife, uh, the good news of Jesus here, and I just... Pop, 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 pop. Like, I... Oh, it was so bad. Tripping over my words. Nothing that I said was coherent, I don't think. I got done and I was so ashamed. I was so bummed out. I was like, there's no way that anyone's going to respond. This is going to just be terrible. In fact, I was so bummed, I didn't even stick around for worship. We would have a worship, a time of response afterwards, and I was like, nah, I can't, I can't do it. And so I headed back to my room. 
Uh, I showered. I probably cried, but the shower covered my tears, you know. Uh, th- that's, that was my strategy. And then I went and I grabbed some peanut butter and jelly because that's all you can eat at camp, you know. And then uh, I went to look uh, to see where the counselors and campers were at, went to their cabins or whatever, and they, they weren't there. I was like, what the heck? Where are the 200-something campers that are supposed to be here right now? And so I started looking around the camp, couldn't find them here, there, whatever. And so I ended up at the center where we do the worship session. And when I walked in, I couldn't believe my eyes. This was an hour after the worship session was supposed to have ended. And it's middle school students, okay? I couldn't believe my eyes. I saw middle school students worshiping and praying with one another. I saw middle school students worshiping and praying with their counselors. A complete move of the Spirit. An hour after they were supposed to. Middle school students, okay? Like total move of the Spirit. And I sat there in tears at the realization that the power of the gospel is not the power of me. The power of the gospel is the power of Jesus. And the more that we keep Jesus at the center of our lives, the more that everything else will take care of itself and he'll just bleed out into our personal conversations. We don't need an amazing explanation. We don't need uh, this deep theology. We don't need all the answers. We just need to be able to tell people what Jesus has done in our lives. What does he mean to you? Nothing more, nothing less. Just offer people Jesus. That's it. The power of the gospel is the power of Jesus. As I read this text this week, I was preparing and I wrote in my journal, I said, God, often I feel like the Ethiopian eunuch trying to be Philip. I feel so confused. I don't understand what's going on. And then I was reminded That when I tell people about Jesus, when I share my faith, I'm not introducing people to an explanation about God. I'm not introducing people to a concept. I'm not introducing people to a theology or a religion. I'm introducing them to a person. I'm introducing them to Jesus. So we don't need a a dramatic explanation. We don't need a, a track with all the answers. We just need Jesus and the impact that he's had in our lives and the ability to talk about it. One last, one last story. I ran cross country and track uh, through middle school, high school, and college. And so some of you are like, well, we thought he was crazy. Now we know he's crazy. Uh, and in running, there's sort of like a barometer for sort of, you know, like uh, legitimacy. Now, uh, everyone who runs is legit. You know, running's hard. Uh, so if you do it, you're legit. But in, in high school and, and really every level, there's sort of times that you listen for. And if someone's like, I ran that time, you're like, oh. That person's fast. So in high school, boys running and track, for example, the most typical distance is a mile, right? If you hear someone say, well, I ran under five minutes, you're like, oh, that person's fast. In high school, uh, for cross country, you run the 5K. And so in high school, in my program, the boys cross country and track program at my high school, the barometer sort of for legitimacy, like if you're like, oh, that person's fast, was 1730. Some of you are like, what the heck, that's really fast. And some of you are like, I don't even know if that's fast at all. Like, I'm not doing the math right now. Well, it's like 535 pace, a little slower. So it's pretty quick, right? But my coach in high school, he used to say, he used to say, anyone can run 1730. If you're part of this cross-country and track team, this boys' high school cross-country and track team, before you go off to college and you gain a bunch of LBs, like, if you're in high school right now, you can will yourself to run 1730. And he believed that to his core. 
If you want to run faster than 1730, it's going to take a little bit of talent. It's going to take a little bit of natural ability. But if you want to will yourself, you can will yourself to 1730. The right training, the right diet, the right discipline, you can run 1730. Some of you are like, this guy's a jerk. He may have been a jerk, but he's a good coach. Because I saw a ton of people who have no business running 1730 run 1730, okay? But that was the minority. That was the minority. I saw a majority of people join the team. They wanted to run. And they were told, well, you can run 1730. You should run 1730. And they, they, they felt it was so hard. It was so intimidating. It was impossible to the point that they just gave up and they quit. Sometimes I feel like sharing our faith, telling other people about Jesus, is kind of like running. When we hear, when we know that we're supposed to tell other people about Jesus, it's almost like we hear someone telling us, you can and you should run 1730. And it sounds impossible. It sounds hard. It sounds so intimidating. And so many of us just, nope, I'm done. Kind of like my teammates who were told, you must, you can, you should run 1730. And they were paralyzed by the, by the fear. Paralyzed by the, the fact that they didn't know what to do. They didn't have the discipline. They didn't have the will. But you see, the point of running is not to run 1730. No, you see, the point of running is to run. And the point of sharing our faith is not to be the next Billy Graham. It's not to be perfect. It's not to have all the answers. The point of sharing our faith is to share our faith. You see, because when we share our faith, God does an amazing work in and around and through us. And sharing our faith is one of the moments that make us. In sharing our faith, God is the one who is doing the work. And we're simply joining in what he is already doing. We're joining in what he is already doing. You see, when you faithfully obey, when you take time to faithfully obey and tell other people about Jesus, whether you're great at it, whether you're terrible at it, whether you feel like you're running 1730 or whether you feel like you're walking, and trust me, I know the difference, God will be using that faithful obedience in beautiful and powerful ways. That's what he did in the life of Philip. You see, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, when Jesus is still around, he tells his disciples, he says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when we pick up in the story in Acts chapter 8, we've seen that be realized in three of the four ways. The gospel of Jesus has spread to Jerusalem, check. It's spread to Judea, check. It's spread to Samaria, check, but not yet to the ends of the earth. And now we have this guy named Philip who's not even a disciple of Jesus, which sounds like, well, yeah, no one's a disciple of Jesus. But months, weeks, years after Jesus has left, the disciples are the people who are supposed to be like the top notch. They're supposed to be the ones doing all the cool stuff, right? And this guy, Philip, has an individual, a personal one-on-one conversation with this Ethiopian eunuch. And Ethiopia, at the time that Acts is being written, is like the ends of the earth. Instead of people saying, all the way to Timbuktu, people would say, all the way to Ethiopia. That was as far as people know. That was the ends of the earth. And so Philip is literally being a part of God's mission being realized from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
That's amazing. And we, like Philip, have the same opportunity. Every time we faithfully obey, every time we tell other people about Jesus, we are part of God's mission being realized in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I'd like to pray to close. And what I want to do is take just a, a, couple, a couple seconds, a couple minutes of, of silence. Because as I've been talking about telling people about Jesus, about sharing our faith, my guess is you've had maybe a, a person, a family member, a friend that's just come to your mind. That you've been thinking about telling them about Jesus and what he's done in your life. And so I just want to pray and I want to take some time for, to allow God to speak to you in that. So Father, please, would you speak to us now and would you bring a person, a friend, a family member that, that we just need to personally, conversationally tell them about your son Jesus, the hope and the life that we have in him. We will exalt you, our God, the King. We will praise your name forever and ever. Every day we will praise you and we will extol your name forever and ever because great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend you, your works to another. We will tell of your mighty acts. We will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and we will meditate on your wonderful works, God. We will tell of the power of your awesome works and we will proclaim your great deeds. Father, make this true in our lives and in the life of our church. Amen.